All right, well, good morning. It's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, so you can go ahead and start turning there. We're going to start in verse 6. My family first arrived in China about seven years ago. We had two small kids and lots and lots of stuff. Before we arrived, I had a great plan of bringing a, a rope, an actual tie-down strap with me. I was going to load up the cart in the airport with all of our luggage and hold it all together with this tie-down strap. It was a good idea. It worked. We, we loaded up the luggage. I was pushing one cart with tons of stuff on it. My wife had a stroller that she was pushing, and she had um, our youngest in a carrier on the front there and it looked a little bit like the trucks that carry the, or the carts that carry the styrofoam have you seen the styrofoam going through the city huge mounds and just strapped down it looks like it wouldn't last but the, the white styrofoam on the back of these carts that's what my cart looked like leaving the airport as we're, we're leaving the bag claim area it's just the two of us and we're going through we passed the customs agents and we're making our way to the door. We can see the, the sea of people who are watching, everyone arriving. And right as we reach that door, something bad went wrong with the strap that I had holding my luggage. It fell off, and all my luggage spilled out onto the floor. It looked like, it looked like an avalanche of belongings. Thankfully, nothing opened up. But now I had one cart with all my stuff that I can't get back on the cart. One of the workers there tried to help me. He gave me another cart, and so I loaded it up. So now I have two carts, but if you're familiar with the carts in the airport, you have to squeeze the handle to make them go forward. It requires two hands, so I have two carts and only two hands, and I really need four hands here. So I'm inching along, one going forward and one I'm pulling, trying to go through this line with all these people watching this goofy foreigner uh, who doesn't know what he's doing. I felt desperate at that time. Thankfully, I didn't go too far before my friend showed up. My friend Pete and another friend also, they came, and they saved me from this, this shame, and they helped me with these carts and our stuff, and we got out of there. I was so thankful to see my friends show up, and so thankful to have their help. Now, I tell this story because the passage this morning that we're going to look at talks about how God has given us help, even much greater help than what I had from my friends. He gives us help in understanding His own Word and understanding the wisdom that He has given us in His Word. Our passage today, we're going to see that God gives help, the help that we need to understand the truth of His Word. Now we've been looking at 1 Corinthians for several weeks now. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the end of chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, which talks all about God's wisdom. It says that the word of, cross, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It means that it looks foolish to the world. And our passage today deals with how we understand God's wisdom. This wisdom of God is that Jesus died and was resurrected. He died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead. This looks foolish to the world, but this is God's wisdom. So, in the, in the passage we're going to look at today, we see the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Helper, or the Spirit of Truth. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, He said He was going to send the Holy Spirit to His disciples so that they could be His witnesses to all the world. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. I'll read these and you follow along in your copy. Verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is, a not, it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of glory, before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is God's Word. Well, this, in this passage, we're going to see that the big idea, the main point of this passage is this. The Holy Spirit helps Christians understand God's wisdom. The Holy Spirit helps Christians understand God's wisdom. The Holy Spirit helps Christians understand God's wisdom. So from this passage, we're going to ask and attempt to answer four big questions related to wisdom and the Holy Spirit. The first question is, what is God's wisdom? What is the wisdom of God? We talked about it some last time that we, we talked about 1 Corinthians. We talked about the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of the world. And Paul continues talking about God's wisdom here in verse 6 to 9. So previously in 1 Corinthians, Paul had talked about how the message of the cross, that is Jesus dying on the cross for sin, sounds like foolishness to the world. And Paul's message to the Corinthians was, when he came to them, only Christ and him crucified. And as Paul brought this message that seemed like foolishness to the world, God used that message and he saved people. Those people who were saved, that became believers and trusted in Jesus as their Savior, they became the church in Corinth. And that's who Paul is writing to in this whole book. Now in this passage, Paul 
continues to expand uh, from the previous passage to talk about the wisdom of God and comparing it to worldly wisdom. See, it seems like those who were in Corinth really thought that they were very wise. They thought they were somebody because they had wisdom of the world. They were wise by the world's standards. But Paul is saying that he doesn't use the world's standards and he doesn't use the world's wisdom, but he rejects the popular wisdom that would be the source of their pride. So what they were putting their pride in, what they were happy about or what they thought made them important was actually not what made them important. It was actually foolishness compared to God's wisdom. So the first thing we see from this passage where Paul says that among the mature we do impart wisdom, though it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He says that, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So the first thing that we see about God's wisdom is that it's hidden from the world. God's wisdom is hidden from the world. It's a secret and hidden wisdom. This echoes the, the point that Paul made in the previous, uh, the previous section of chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through to verse 5 of chapter 2. They talked about the, the wisdom of the world and the, the wisdom of God. The, the wisdom of God is on a whole other plane. It's not accessible by man. As one commentator says, that the wisdom of God is not a puzzle to be solved. It's not piecing together something to then arrive at God's wisdom. No, the wisdom of God is like a secret. This is a secret that the world cannot access. We can put pieces together of a puzzle, but can never arrive at the wisdom of God. So the wisdom of God is hidden from the world. And then we see in verse 8 and 9, it says that none of the rulers of this age understood this, meaning God's wisdom. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love Him. What this is saying is that the, the rulers of the world, if they had understood God's wisdom, they would not have crucified Jesus. This points to the fact that God's wisdom is Christ crucified. God's wisdom is Jesus dying on the cross. The cross is the wisdom of God. It says that the rulers of the age, this means the Jewish rulers, the priests who were there accusing Jesus, and the Roman rulers, Pilate, who even himself did not find anything wrong with Jesus, but still went ahead with crucifying him. If they had understood who Jesus was, they would not have killed him. They would have worshipped him. So it's God's wisdom that shows up as Jesus is crucified. God himself who became man, lived a perfect life, and then God Himself died a criminal's death in order to pay the penalty for sin. God was the substitute for sinners. That type of wisdom can only come from God. That does not compute and it does not make sense to our worldly and natural minds. That's what makes it the perfect wisdom of God. So the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. And we see one more thing about the wisdom of God from this passage. Look back at verse 7. 
the second half of it. It says, which God decreed. This is the, the secret and hidden wisdom which God decreed before the ages for our glory. For our glory. Notice it doesn't say for His glory, but for our glory. Now this is not for our praise or for our worship. But this is pointing to us sharing in God's glory. That this is for our good and our well-being. And then also in verse 9. Verse 9 ends in a similar way. It talks about how no one has seen or heard or could even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. So God, in His infinite wisdom, who sent Jesus to be crucified, that wisdom is for our well-being and is for our good. From the beginning of time, God was preparing to have a people for Himself, and that, they would, that He could show them His loving kindness by saving them. That's God's purpose and His plan and His wisdom. So we see that God's wisdom is Christ crucified, that it's for our well-being. But God's wisdom is hidden from the world. If it's hidden from people, if it's hidden from the world, how can we then know God's wisdom? We see this in verse 10. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So God not only holds the perfect wisdom of the world, of Christ being crucified, He also is revealing it. God Himself is making known His wisdom to us. Notice that God's wisdom is not found by wise men. Wise people do not find God's wisdom, but it's revealed by a wise God. The wisdom of God is not found by wise men, but it is revealed by a wise God. So verse 10 tells us that God reveals His wisdom through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. And this brings us to our second big question of the morning. The first was, what, was, what is God's wisdom? We answer that with, God's wisdom is Christ crucified. The second one is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this Spirit that does this revealing? Let's look at verses 10 to 11. I'm going to read those again. These things, this is the wisdom of God, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So we see that the Spirit has an intimate and deep knowledge and understanding of that person. And so God's Spirit has a deep and intimate knowledge and understanding of God Himself. Verse 11 illustrates this point about that only a spirit of a person can know that person on an intimate level. Paul's making the case here that the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. This means that the Holy Spirit has to be God. So the answer to this question of who is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is God. That's the only way that we can answer that from this text. It shows us that the only, the only one who can know God is God Himself, is the Spirit of God. And that's who this Holy Spirit is that Paul is talking about. So we see from uh, this passage a few things about the Holy Spirit. 
being God. So as God, the Holy Spirit knows what God is thinking. The Holy Spirit knows what God is thinking. We don't know what each other is thinking. We can guess. Sometimes we try to read facial expressions to understand what someone might be thinking. As you look back at me, I'm trying to understand what are you thinking? Are you bored? Or are you interested? But I don't really know, and I can't know what you're thinking. But you know, only a person can know what you're actually thinking. And so the Holy Spirit knows what God is thinking because He's God. As God, He knows what God is thinking. He knows God's thoughts, His desires. He knows that God has love, that God feels anger towards sin, that God can experience compassion and affection and joy. As God, the Holy Spirit also is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy or something other than a person. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. We see that's described throughout Scripture, and we see spelled out in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So there's the three persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead. So God is one, and He has three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God and is a person, not a force or an energy. Another thing we see is that As God, the Holy Spirit is eternal and has been working throughout world history. We see evidence of the Holy Spirit at creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the second verse of the Bible, says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there we see the Spirit of God present, and involved at creation. All of God, the whole Godhead, is there involved in creation. The Holy Spirit was working at that time and has been working throughout world history. There's other scriptures that point to the Holy Spirit as well. And we can understand more about the Spirit from John chapter 14 to 16. Jesus mentions the Spirit several times making clear that the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is sent by God to be a helper to Jesus' followers. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is God. He knows what God is thinking. He is a person. He is eternal. And He's been working throughout history. And He works to help Jesus' followers to understand the words that Jesus spoke, the words of God and the wisdom of God. We can also read about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. There's many other places in Scripture that we can see that the Holy Spirit 
is God. It agrees with what Paul is saying here. The Holy Spirit is God. And it's important for us to know as we move forward that as we talk about this Spirit, that we are talking about God. And just as Jesus came to the world, Jesus is God. When He came, He is God, and He was living among the people of the world. The Holy Spirit also is sent by God and is among us. So the Holy Spirit is God. And the logical next question related to the Holy Spirit then is, what does the Holy Spirit do? So the third question for this morning is, what does the Holy Spirit do? We're going to look at verses, uh, first part of verse 10 and then 12 to 13. Verse 10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We can see from this passage that the Holy Spirit helps bring understanding of the things of God. Verse 7 says that, and 10 talks about the secret and hidden wisdom of God. And it says in verse 10 that these things, that secret and hidden wisdom, is revealed to us through the Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who helps bring understanding, who helps God to, to reveal God's wisdom. So the Spirit is the one who helps us understand the wisdom of God that we could not understand on our own. We're lost without God's help to understand His truth and His wisdom. That's why God has sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper in that. In verse 13, we see that not only does the Holy Spirit help God's people understand the truth of God, but in 13 it says that the Holy Spirit teaches the words of wisdom. The words of the wisdom. We don't want to miss the, the message of verse 13 here. Look there with me. We impart this, meaning God's wisdom, in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So the very words of God's wisdom are taught by the Holy Spirit. These, there are real words that are used to tell of God's wisdom, and those words are taught by the Holy Spirit, the people who have the Holy Spirit. Now, he teaches these words by, look in 13, uh, verse 13, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the Greek word that's translated interpreting here is a little bit challenging to translate. There are several opinions on what words should be used here. It could be interpreting. The note in my Bible says comparing. Um, another source said combining. Combining the spiritual truths with those who are spiritual. But it has the meaning or the understanding of the, the spiritual, the Holy Spirit brings understanding of spiritual truth, and that the spiritual truth is only understandable with the help of the Holy Spirit. He lines up spiritual truth with those who are spiritual, it says. This is similar to think of a kid's activity sheet with words on one side and pictures on the other. The words that spelled C-A-T 
must be lined up with the picture of a cat. All right? We, we don't match C-A-T with a picture of a dog. They, they have to go together. That's a really simple way to think about what the Spirit does is lining up spiritual truth with those who are spiritual, it says in verse 13. So the, the Holy Spirit brings together spiritual words and understanding with spiritual people. We see similar ideas in other places in Scripture. In Matthew 16, Jesus says that Jesus, I'm sorry, in Matthew 16, Peter says that Jesus is the Christ. And there Jesus says only the Father revealed that to Peter. Peter can only know that because it's revealed to him by the Father. And we know from the passage we're looking at today that it's the Holy Spirit who revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Also, as we read in the book of Acts, and we see that at the very beginning of Acts, the, the disciples are huddled together in a room. They're not going out. They're, they're just, it's just them. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And it says like flames of fire. And then the next thing we see is them in the streets telling people the wonderful works of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only God's Spirit who can bring about this combination of God's of spiritual wisdom with spiritual people that then have the words to tell this spiritual truth to others. Now, another important work of the Holy Spirit, something else that the Holy Spirit does, is to change us through the process of sanctification. We know that when someone believes in Jesus as their Savior, they're immediately justified, meaning they're made righteous before God. They're in right standing with God related to salvation. But they're not holy yet. And a major work of the Holy Spirit is to, over time, make believers holy, prepared to be with God, to live with God for eternity. So this process of being made holy, uh, a little by little, uh, over a progression with more understanding and, and more wisdom and more spiritual maturity, this, that process is called sanctification. So we know that the Holy Spirit is involved in, sanctifi- in the sanctification of Christians, over time making us holy. One way to think of this is like a construction site. I'm sure you've all seen the construction going on in our city. Sometimes it seems like people are working all the time and nothing changes. It looks the exact same. There's lots of noise, there's lots of trucks in and out, but nothing changes. It seems almost like it's useless. Other times, You don't go a certain road, you don't travel a certain road for maybe three or four days, and you go again and you say, there's a building here. There was not this building the last time I was here. How did this happen? Well, in a similar way, this is how sanctification works in the heart of a Christian. The Holy Spirit is like the construction workers working. And at times it appears there's not much changing. But He is working. And then at times there's big changes where we see, now, I'm not tempted to sin in this way. I said no to something that I haven't said no to for years. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see this little by little changing as the Holy Spirit helps to make us more and more holy so that we are prepared to be with God for eternity. 
So, brothers and sisters, next time you are going through our city here and you see construction going on, think about and remember that you are like a construction site. You're a work in progress. And the Holy Spirit is working to complete this work that God has set out to do in your heart. One thing that we must do is to trust that the Holy Spirit is working. Sometimes we get impatient and we think nothing is changing. Nothing has changed at all. And we, we want to do things on our own or we want to give up on our faith or do other things. But we must trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart for those of us who have believed in Jesus. And we also want to submit to His work in our lives and in our hearts. One way that we can carry out submission to the Holy Spirit is by repenting of sin when we see it. One thing the Holy Spirit does is to point out sin, to let us see when we are sinful. Do you know it's God's grace that we see our sin? It's actually a good thing to notice that I was sinning by what I was thinking or in saying what I said in that way. That was sin. That's a good thing to see it. When we see our sin, we then want to repent. We must remember what true repentance is. Repentance has two parts. First, it's agreeing with God that what we did was sinful and that that sin is evil against God. It was wrong and sinful for me to do that. The second part, we do confess, the second part is turning to God for His help to change. This is where we ask God, please help me not to sin in this way again. Please help me to resist the temptation to this sin, to say no to sin and to obey Your Word. We ask for God's help. So repentance must include confession and turning to God. And we seek God's help by His Holy Spirit. We depend on Him and not on our own power to change our own lives. Alright, so we've talked about what the Holy Spirit does, including interpreting or combining these spiritual truths with spiritual people. But this begs the question, who are these spiritual people? So who has the Holy Spirit? Let's take a closer look at that in this passage. Starting again in verse 10, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And then look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we see this us and we as we go through this passage of those who have the Spirit. And then in 13, uh, I'm sorry, in 14 and 15, Paul makes this comparison between the natural person and the spiritual person. 
So it seems that those who are spiritual, this spiritual person, are those who have the Spirit of God. From this passage, we know that a, spirit, a person must be spiritual to understand the wisdom of God or to understand the gospel of Jesus. So a person must have the Holy Spirit because that is the only way to be spiritual. To be spiritual is to have the Holy Spirit. And to be saved is to understand spiritual truth, which requires the Holy Spirit. So the answer to this question, that's confusing. The answer to this question is, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. This is not exclusive to Paul. This is not exclusive to those who are teaching the Word. But all Christians have the Holy Spirit. You have put your faith in Jesus as your Savior then you are, as this passage says, a spiritual person. You have the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when Paul was preaching at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first came on the disciples, Paul shares the message of Jesus with the people of Jerusalem. The people are, are cut to the heart, it says. They say, what do we do? And Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see in other places in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. So then as we look at verse 10 and 12 of this passage, we can see that this describes us who are believers. God has revealed to Christians the truth of His wisdom. And in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we as Christians, those who are believers in Jesus. Now let's take a look at a closer look at verses 14 to 16 and see how Paul differentiates between or separates the natural person, and the spiritual person. 14 says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. They look like foolishness to the natural person. The natural person is not able to understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. It takes a spiritual understanding. It takes the Holy Spirit to understand the spiritual things. They don't line up with the natural person. The natural person here is talking about someone who is an unbeliever, someone who is lost, a non-Christian. We were all natural people at some point. When we were born, we were born as natural people. None of us on our own were spiritual people. We all began in this way. That should motivate us to have compassion for those who are not spiritual people yet, for the natural person, for those who are not believers. That's how we started. That's how we were at one point. We saw up in verse 6 and verse 8, Paul talked about the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age. What he's talking about there is the, as the, the wisdom and the rulers of, the, of this age is the same as the natural person in these verses. 
is not of God, but it's of man, it's of the world. And then in verse 15 and 16, we see a couple of things about the spiritual person that we need to look at. Paul says in verse 15 that the spiritual person judges all things. Judges all things. Now this is tied to the line directly before where it talked about the natural person not understanding the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. So discerning and judging actually go together. They have a similar idea or meaning here in this passage. To judge is to be able to discern or to have wisdom about or to understand and make a decision, to be able to operate under God's wisdom. That's what to to judge is, to look at a situation, an idea, a concept, and to determine or discern if it is true or if it is wrong. So the spiritual person then can discern spiritual truth. They're equipped to be able to understand that the spiritual truth is true. It's like speaking a different language. But the spiritual person, because of the help of the Holy Spirit, is, uh, is fluent in this spiritual language to understand the spiritual message of God. And then we also need to note in verse 15 where it says that the spiritual person judges all things. So it's not just the spiritual person judges spiritual things, but actually all things. This shows that the Holy Spirit does not just help the spiritual person understand spiritual things, but spiritual and natural. The Holy Spirit is helpful to understand the beginning of truth, to understand the message of Jesus that leads to salvation, but also helps us to understand and to have wisdom about other matters of life. Now the second thing that we see here about the spiritual person is the last part of verse 15, but he himself is to be judged by no one. So this, this judging here is, uh, is, talks about how the outside world cannot judge whether a spiritual person is correct or right in what they, what they determine and what they judge. So because the wisdom of God looks like foolishness to the world, the world might want to judge Christians. The world might want to say, you are wrong for your belief. But this verse is saying that there's no room for that. There's no room for the spiritual person to be judged by the natural person. It doesn't make sense. The wisdom is completely different. It's not actually possible for them to be judged, for the natural person to make a judgment of the spiritual person to say that they're wrong in some way. And then in verse 16, it says, who can tell God anything? For who, who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct Him? Who can tell God what to do? And this is similar to what it said in verse 15 about the spiritual person not being judged by anyone. Can a natural person tell God how He should rule? How He should save people? Can someone say to God, I don't like your plan, I think you should do it this way? No, that's not appropriate. And it doesn't work. So we should be careful that we don't do that either. But that we long to live, as verse 16 ends, with the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ here is the Spirit of God. So our mind, with the mind of Christ, our mind is fixed on Christ. Like Paul talked about 
in the earlier parts of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. So as we've gone through, we've answered, we've looked at four different questions surrounding the Holy Spirit and God's wisdom. But knowing these truths, what do we do with that? How, how can we live? Well, let's conclude with some examples of how the truth of this passage should impact our lives. The question about who is the Holy Spirit, we said the Holy Spirit is God. This truth should motivate us in one way, at least, in worshiping God. John chapter 4, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who made us spiritual so that we could understand and believe the spiritual truth that Jesus is the Savior that we need. Our worship should reflect our gratitude to the Lord for opening our eyes to the truth of His wisdom. We could not arrive at our salvation on our own, but it's God's work through His Holy Spirit. So let's worship God with that in mind, remembering that the Holy Spirit is God and He is the one who is at work to save us and to sanctify us, to make us holy. Also, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's Word. It's good to be mindful of the fact that the Holy Spirit helps us when we read our Bible. And as we read, we want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the message of the passage we're reading. It could be as simple as praying, Holy Spirit, please help me understand this passage, to understand its meaning, to be able to apply it to my life, to obey and to trust more. See, when we understand the truth of God's Word more and more. Uh, as we understand the truth of God's more and more, as we mature, as we witness the Holy Spirit working in us, we also must resist the desire to be prideful about it. Many times we see spiritual success in our lives and we think, I'm doing pretty good. I can understand the Bible more and more. And we might forget that it's the Holy Spirit who's helping us to understand. So we need to remain humble and not become prideful as we see the Holy Spirit working. This passage tells us that any understanding we have of the truth of God is from the Holy Spirit, and we need to remember that as we study and as we mature. Another way that we apply this is to remember that the Holy Spirit also gives words of wisdom for us to share. This was in verse 13. It says, we impart this, meaning God's wisdom, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit teaches us what we should say in sharing the good news of the gospel with others. So we don't want to speak out of our own power or out of our own wisdom, but we want to depend on the wisdom of the Lord, which comes from His Word and comes as the Spirit reveals to us and helps us to know what to say as we share the gospel with other people. The words that we use are important. We want to use the words of the Holy Spirit and of the wisdom of God. This means the whole message of Jesus and Him crucified, that people are sinners, that we are helpless to save ourselves. 
So as we parent, parent, this looks like helping our kids to understand that their biggest problem is their own hearts. And with our friends and our family, we want them also to know that their biggest problem is the sin in their own hearts. That they are lost. The sin in their heart will kill them. And we want to warn them of that. And we don't want to walk up to them and start the conversation with, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. That's difficult to carry on a conversation when we start that way. That may not be a wise beginning to the conversation. But we do want them to discover, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that they are sinful. I think one great way that we can do this is to actually model true repentance ourselves. I talked about this earlier, but one way that we can show, we can help people discover the sin in their own heart is when we confess that we are sinful and that our heart is wicked on its own without the Lord. So when you sin, and your sin impacts those you love and those around you, confess to God, repent to God, say, God, this was wrong for me to do. I trust you to, to forgive me, and please help me to live rightly. But then go to those around you. Parents, when you sin against your kids, or it impacts them, they know that you sinned, go to them and say, it was wrong of me to talk to you in that way. It was wrong of me to do this or to do that. What I did, the way I treated you, was wrong. And that's sin for me to do that. Then explain to them that when I sin, that's against God. It's hurtful to you, but it's actually against God. I'm doing wrong before God. And I've confessed to Him and asked Him to help me to live rightly. Because the only way that I can live rightly, the only way that I can obey God, is when He works in my heart to change me, to help me to obey. I depend on Him. Parents, it's good for your kids to know that you're a sinner. That helps them to understand that they too are sinners. We can do this with our family and friends as well. When we sin, that's an opportunity to share the gospel as we repent of that sin before other people. We do that as an example to heal the relationship and to be a message to those people that the Holy Spirit is at work and that they need the help. They need help from the Holy Spirit. So when life is crazy and we're not really sure what to do, we should remember this last line, verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. Christians, we have the help that we need to understand God's wisdom. And that help is the person from God Himself, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we praise You that Your Word is true and is right. God, we thank You for giving us Your Word and for giving us the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, that we might understand Your Word and be changed by it. Holy Spirit, thank You for Your work in our hearts. We trust You to open the eye, our eyes to the truth and to the riches of Your Word. Help us to submit to You as You do Your work in making us holy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.